Hello, and welcome to Control-Alt-Delete. Uh, I would have an intro here, but I'm telling you, this is the day. It happened. Today's the day that President Trump is President Trump. It's real. Uh, and we're going to talk about it a little bit and talk about what it means for tech. I am Neil Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge. I'm joined, as always, by my friend, Walt Mossberg, The Verge's executive editor and editor-at-large of Recode. How's it going, Walt? Uh, I think it's President-elect Trump, but it's going fine. Yeah. So it's a, it's a strange day to be recording our show. It is, yeah. So the election was literally last night. It's the middle of the afternoon here on Wednesday, and we've been thinking <laughs> and talking about it for as much time as we've been thinking and talking about it. And I, I think we were texting at 1, a, 1 a.m. We were texting at 1 a.m. last night. Yeah. There's a lot here. If you've been listening to this show for the year we've been doing it, um, you have heard us talk endlessly about encryption and the FBI, about privacy, about telecom mergers. I don't know that as many people thought that Trump would win as uh, apparently went and voted for him. Um, I, I, you know that not as many people thought that. <laughs> yeah. Certainly pollsters, yeah. Certainly the polls are wrong. There's a, there's an entire story here about data analytics that I think is interesting. But I want to talk to Walt about kind of the tech policy stuff, like the broad strokes. He said a lot of stuff already. There is a Silicon Valley that is somewhat uh, nervous about an administration that they were not necessarily in favor of and now maybe can't predict with as much stability as a potential Clinton administration. What, what's your read on things, Walt? Yeah, well, uh, the first thing to say is, and we're going to go over a few places where he was specific, but in general, he was not very specific. He did not publish a kind of comprehensive tech or internet or telecom plan. I, I went back and reread his campaign website in preparation for this, and he just didn't publish a comprehensive plan on that. But there are some 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 highlights of things uh, he did say. So that's the first thing. The second thing, as you said, is politically in terms of their money and their statements and their you know the vote totals coming out of those counties, uh, they were heavily for Clinton. And uh, uh, you know we well know about Peter Thiel, the famous venture capitalist who was a big uh, Trump supporter, but he was clearly the exception to the rule. So um, you know. He's not – Trump is not stupid. He understands that they were hostile to him and they understand that he understands that. So they're nervous this morning like like I think a lot of people who uh, did not support him are nervous this morning. And I think that there are two aspects to this. One is he doesn't have a formulated policy, which you know that may not bother people who think the government shouldn't have much to say about it anyway. But they figure he will do – some of these things. It's just they don't know what because he doesn't have a formulated policy. I think the second thing to worry about is that – and I can say this because I am also a baby boomer from the early part of the baby boom. So were both candidates. They were both essentially computer illiterate people. Uh, Trump was Twitter literate and knew, knew enough to use his phone for Twitter and you got to give him credit for that, yep. which is right up there with – you know, one of the key skills of the current moment. But he's not overall tech literate. Uh, she certainly, I mean, you know, she could write emails and she did do, <laughs> and she did do, <laughs> she did do, she could write them, but she didn't understand very much about how they worked. Yeah. And neither did the people around her, which is was shocking. And I think, you know, uh, she actually also did some individual tweeting uh, and he did a lot of individual tweeting. Uh, but you would not call him and you would not have called her uh, a, a tech literate uh, president. And Obama was 
quite tech literate. I mean, I, I'm not sure yeah. he could have gotten a job at Google, but I mean, he he was a tech literate person. You know, I think the first nationally elected figure. I'm not talking about a, a member of Congress or a, or a governor, but a nationally elected figure, which is only two offices: president and vice president. The first person who you could truly say was tech literate, who lived a digital life, who used a laptop and eventually a smartphone. Well, he all came day. he came in. I remember we ran the story. He was the first BlackBerry president. That was the line that he was addicted to his BlackBerry. Yep. Yeah, yeah, and but they, but the first one out. was actually Gore and <laughs> I'm not going into the joke, which is a false <laughs> false joke because he never said he invented the internet, never. But he did you he did live what you would call a digital life for that time. Yeah. And uh but he wasn't president, of course. He was vice president. So, you know, Obama has has really tried pretty much every social network. Yeah, we ran a whole we did a whole interview with the first lady earlier this year, February ish, uh, about how she uses social media to spread her various campaigns. And they were very sharp on it. Uh, Now, the truth is that they I'm pretty sure it's true that they were also technically boomers, but late boomers. mm -hmm. You know, the boomer period was like a. A 16-year period of births, and I think they may have been, maybe they weren't. I don't know, but um, I think I don't know. But Donald Trump is clearly a, a, a boomer from like the first year of the baby boom, and uh, he, you, I don't think he's tech literate. So uh, I think the Valley is worried about, you know, that doesn't make them comfortable in 2016 to 2020 either, but. I think there are some additional things that make particular companies particularly uncomfortable. And do you want me to go through a couple of them? Yeah. Okay. So he specifically threatened two important, two of the big five tech companies that we talk about all the time. He specifically threatened Apple and Amazon Mm -hmm. by name uh, during the campaign. Apple, he actually called for a boycott of the iPhone during their, you know, battle with the FBI over building a uh, an alternate version of iOS that the FBI could use to break into iPhones in criminal cases. He took the side of James Comey, the director of the FBI. <laughs> who, who <laughs> Legendary returned, now, James Comey. Apparently returned the favor later. And he called for an actual boycott, as I said, of the, of the iPhone. People pointed out on Twitter that his staff was still using iPhones <laughs> uh, to tweet right after that. But he did. Um, and I think he said some things that raised questions about his – I mean, he clearly did not favor Apple's view of privacy uh, over the interests of the government. So I – you know, I, I'm not saying that Tim Cook is afraid that he's going to shut down – try to shut down Apple. But – and the Apple story is also complicated by a couple of other things. One is he has called for the return of manufacturing – from uh, overseas to the United States. Apple is a company that uh, makes hardware, mm-hmm. as all of our listeners know. That's their that's the base of the, what they do. And they make it in China, and they make it in, I think, China uh, almost entirely. He will, I mean, you know, he could easily be putting a lot of pressure on them to move manufacturing here, which, is, right. which might be the right thing to do, but is difficult. And, they have and, moved and, and their answer to that kind of famously has been, the talent pipeline we need to staff these factories isn't there. And perhaps more specifically, the Apple does manufacture a bunch of components here. So 
Corning makes all the Gorilla Glass. Yeah, that happens here. Be out. The Mac Pro, the, <laughs> the, the 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 aging Mac Pro is built in the in the is United assembled States. entirely. There, there is some States. manufacturing. Here. You know, yeah. There's uh, a. They'll show you that there's some considerable percentage of every iPhone and Mac is got components that are made here, uh, but they don't actually assemble them here. And it's not just the talent; it's the ecosystem of supplier companies. This is true in every industry. I, I started my career covering the car industry, and I learned about this there. What happened eventually in the car industry was that the market was so lucrative here, and the currency fluctuations were so influential in the profit uh, of making a car that all of the foreign car companies established factories here. But the, And they when they did, they brought their suppliers with them. So... So they used some American suppliers, but they also would bring some of their favorite supplier subsidiaries from Japan or Germany or wherever to open up uh, factories here. And that was that would be what Apple and Foxconn – I think Foxconn actually has a plant here. I don't think it makes iPhones, but maybe it could. I don't know. So Apple has that problem. and So the Apple has a boycott threat from a presidential candidate pretty – maybe unique in American history, a president-elect that doesn't agree with their position on privacy versus the FBI, a president-elect who wants, I don't think, I don't, he, well, he did mention them by name. He said they should be making more of their stuff in the United States. He did Despite that. the fact that he, all the Trump-branded stuff is made in China. But on the plus side, they have a president-elect who, is promising to cut corporate tax rates dramatically and to essentially create a special lower rate for some period of time to allow the the capital they're holding overseas to be repatriated, which Tim Cook has testified to Congress he wants. So I don't know in their case how you balance all that, but they're going to be in the spotlight and they probably would rather not be. Uh, the other company he made direct threats to was Amazon. Uh he, uh, when the Washington Post started going after him, even though, let's be clear, Amazon does not own the Washington Post. It is owned by Amazon's CEO, Jeff Bezos, in a personal capacity. But he went after Amazon. He said they, uh, they were going after him. The Washington Post was going after him in an investigation of his uh, – they did a number of investigations, uh, most notably – the uh, the one about his charities most recently toward the end of the campaign his or his lack of the the lack of being able to document that he had given much to charity and he got mad and he said you know they're doing it because they're afraid of an antitrust investigation and they have you know he said they have a lot of antitrust problems if they would have been investigated he didn't go beyond explaining that that I could find at least he also. Uh, indirectly sort of threatened some kind of tax action against them by saying, uh, you know, the post was a tax write-off for Amazon, which I'm not an accountant or an attorney, but I sort of doubt that given that it's not owned <laughs> by Amazon. So yeah. it might be a tax rate write-off for Jeff Bezos. I don't know, but I don't know how the tax laws work on that. So those are the two companies where he directly threatened them. And I don't know if they're losing sleep, but it's quite extraordinary. It's hard for me to, you know, I I suspect uh, that in the old days, uh, the original days of antitrust, Teddy Roosevelt or somebody may have campaigned attacking 
Rockefeller or U.S. Steel, but it hasn't happened in a long time. Well, I mean, there was the trust-busting movement, so those attacks came real in a fairly serious way at that time. Oh, no, I, 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 I agree with you. I'm just yeah. saying that was a long time ago, so... It was a very long so, time. So you know, not in not in recent memory, have specific companies been called out this way? Uh, uh, two more to add to that list. He he opposes the merger of AT and T and Time Warner, which is actually interesting for I think for a Republican candidate. It's not it is not the expected line from the conservative party on a, on a, on a large merger, um, but he is anti media consolidation, right? Which. I got to be honest with you. I, you know, I'm I'm right in line. I, I I think that we deserve more indifferent media companies, not fewer and fewer. Large I agree ones. with you. So, I'm in line with that too. But so that's not that. that's I, I, not the that's, same as the kind of attack he made on Apple and Amazon. I don't think he I don't think he attacked the he singled out the companies as bad actors or unpatriotic. He just singled out the merger as something he would not support. Right. Um, so let's talk about Apple and the FBI piece of it. Um, All right, and I know I know you're fairly deep on this. So there's a number of other policy things, but sure. Yeah, I, I just want to do a couple of minutes on that one because it that one to me is it's the first thing that strikes me as you've got a Republican president, a Republican uh, Senate, a Republican House. Are they just going to pass a law that says Apple has to build a back door? How does Apple fight it? What's what sort of a, what do you think the dynamics? Well, are? let me first point out that although it was done quietly and it was not made much of, I'm 99% certain, and I didn't have time to actually look it up, but I'm 99% certain that President Obama also expressed support for the FBI side on that. I mean, he couched it in a whole, let's all get along and this, can't we work this out between Apple and the FBI, but he did not take the Apple side and he mm-hmm. he more he took more the FBI side in this. So Trump isn't so much deviating from Obama, except as usual in the vehemence with which he did it, uh, said it. Um, and it was a hypothetical, of course, because there was no particular incident going on at that moment. I think uh, if Rudy Giuliani is indeed attorney general, as has been discussed in uh, recent days, I think Rudy Giuliani would would certainly be a hardliner on that question. They could pass a law. They could. They could pass a backdoor law. I think you would find and, – and by the way, I seem to remember Dianne Feinstein, the Democratic ranking member of the Intelligence Committee, also siding with the FBI on that one or mm-hmm. – you know, and, and, and saying, you know, we can work something out but, but – you know, being for the 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 law enforcement or national security agency side of that, so there's a certain cross party flavor to it. I think it's going to be harder the next time there's a con- you know when when Jim Comey decides to gin up a confrontation, or to be fair, let's say he doesn't gin it up. Let's say that something just happens where somebody commits a terrible crime. There's a reason to believe there's a threat, or that there's information about terrorism that might be discovered and it happens to be an Apple product that is encrypted, presumably an iPhone, uh, we're going to have uh, – and it's a Trump administration. We're going to have a lot different and a lot stronger response from the White House and from the unified Republican uh, government. So – and there will be another conservative justice on the Supreme Court. So, you know, Apple could find itself in, a, in, a, in much worse shape. In that situation, even in uh, not just Apple, the whole the whole industry, right? But I mean, I mean if, if it's Apple, because the whole industry, yeah. 
that makes smartphones does not make smartphones encrypted to the level of iPhones. They just don't. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, the whole industry, but Apple in particular. So, yeah, I think there, there, that we can – if we're thinking about, okay, we had an election. It came out in a way that everyone who was supposed to be able to measure it uh, was telling us it wasn't going to come out that way. What are the consequences for tech? Well, you're right. Privacy and, and what happens with privacy is part of the consequence for tech. The problem is it's a little more complicated than it seems. It's a lot more complicated, but here's one example of how complicated it is. Trump wants to boost exports. He wants to cut down imports in general, in general. I think that's a fair reading of a lot of what he said. If it becomes known, if we passed a law that said you have to build a backdoor in for the FBI and the NSA and the CIA and whoever into Android and into iOS and into all the other uh, platforms, the problem is that's going to really, really hurt American exports of tech products overseas, which are considerable because the Chinese government has already said we want exactly the same. You know, hey, hey, we're just – we're against terrorism. Putin says he's against terrorism and we just want most favored nation. You know, we just want the same access to whatever backdoor you give the FBI. This is on the record. They've Both countries have said it. Other countries I'm sure have said it. And so the products automatically are, are not trusted for two reasons. One, it's believed that our police and intelligence agencies can see whatever's going on inside an Apple or a Google product sold somewhere. And secondly, those foreign governments will get actual – we won't even have to hack it. They'll get actual access. So that's an export problem and mm -hmm. they, that will be an argument Apple will make and other people will make. This episode of Control Alt-Delete is brought to you by Lenovo. Every day, rich new veins are created in a big data gold mine. Today, we generate more than 2.5 billion gigabytes of data each day in the form of 205 billion emails, 3.5 billion requests on Google, and 2.7 billion likes on Facebook. Most of that data is stored on nearly 5.5 million servers operated by just 16 companies. It's all that big data that business can use to improve products and gain a competitive advantage. Business today is like being in a game show lightning round. Answer the fastest and you win. So Lenovo is creating the next generation data center to help companies more efficiently mine data to uncover insights faster. That requires the ability to store massive amounts of data and the processing performance needed to analyze it. Lenovo server systems are number one in uptime and reliability with a proven track record of superior performance with the big names in data analytics. So learn more about how Lenovo is transforming the data center at www.lenovo.com slash data center. So let's talk about some other issues. The privacy one to me, I feel like we could do all day. It, 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 to me, it is the most, the single most powerful split between where the technology industry, and I think, as you've said, kind of focused on Apple, but, you know, Facebook makes WhatsApp, which is end-to-end -end encrypted. Yes. There's another, a number of other messaging apps that are encrypted. There's a number, there's a lot of encryption floating around the tech industry to keep our stuff private. That dichotomy between what the tech industry wants and what the government has wanted and what the new administration has signaled very forcefully that it wants, I think is it's going to be such a big theme. So we, we could do that all day. Yeah, we could. All night. And we're probably going to do it for the next four years. Yeah. But let's let's talk about some other issues. What, what, what else jumps to your mind as, as you think through Well, I think net, net neutrality jumps to my mind. Um, 
he has actually come out against it. He thinks mm-hmm. it's a version of like the fairness doctrine, which is the old doctrine that said every candidate may still exist. I don't think it exists. It does. It does not exist. It's also does a really it exist for broadcast TV? Eli, uh, no, it's gone. Okay, it's, it's been, gone. It's so for a long time. that was the old thing that said, uh, and I, I remember it came up in Reagan's election because you know Reagan used to do commercials, and mm-hmm. you know if you or, or and he did movies. So if you showed Reagan in one of his old movies during the campaign in which he was running. There were lawyers who went right to court and said, well, the fairness doctrine says you, you have to give each candidate the same number of minutes on the air. And you just gave Reagan an hour of bedtime for Bonzo or whatever that movie was. And <laughs> so uh, – or some com- some commercially did it for GE. The, those are both real things. I'm probably mangling the name of the movie, but they were both real things. And Trump has come out against net neutrality in a vague way. And I have to say, and I don't mean – please understand, listeners who are Trump supporters, this is not an attempt to insult him. But I went through the record. I went through his website. There isn't much to make you believe that he understands what what exactly what it is. It's a hard concept for even experts, uh, net neutrality. It's fought over all the time, even in the community of people who care passionately about it. But he – he hasn't demonstrated and maybe he doesn't have to as president uh, a, a full grasp of it. I'm not saying I, I think Hillary Clinton uh, demonstrated a full grasp of it either. I mean it's my it's my personal pet policy issue and I'm not sure I have a right. full grasp Good of it. Right. Good point. It, it, it is complicated. So I can't tell you and I don't think Neil I can tell you precisely what pieces of it or what flavor of it uh, Donald Trump would accept if any – or oppose, but he has expressed a general opposition to the general concept of net neutrality. And that's a big, you could say that's a telecom issue, but it's a tech issue. And it's a big controversial thing. For instance, it goes to questions of even these zero rate plans on phones. What content streams get special treatment from the carrier so that they are, if you stream them on your T-Mobile, for instance, is a big proponent of this idea. If you stream them on your phone, it doesn't count against your data usage, and mm-hmm. uh, that—that's what zero rate means. And you know, that's a kind of net neutrality. If, if hypothetically, and this is all hypothetical, it's one, one day after the guy was elected president-elect. If hypothetically. The Trump-appointed FCC or the White House or the Republican Congress or the Republican Supreme Court, whatever, were to explicitly outlaw the concept of net neutrality, that would have a big effect on the tech industry. So that so that one's really interesting to me, and it, it, not to bring up AT and T and Time Warner again, but but you just are about to. I'm about. I'm trying to shape this thought. I have. I have. I have many. many okay, I'm going to eat some. Can I? This. I'm going to do Go. a product placement. Is that okay? Yes. I'm eating. Uh, it's a little bit of a. It's a little bit of a strange day. I was up most of the night, so I'm eating um, pirates booty. Yeah, uh, you're eating the the crunchiest snack in the wrinkliest bag. Right. On there. So while you're formulating your throat, I'll just be munching yeah. some pirates booty, and don't See, worry about still it. Humor listeners. and joy left in this world. Yeah. While eating pirates. Yeah. Booty. There you go. We should be get. We should get fifty cents or a dollar every time. I yeah. It. Anyway, uh, no. My my thought about that very simply is net neutrality was a populist movement. The the internet as a whole 
wanted it because they hated their ISPs and they didn't want ISPs to interfere with what they were getting on the internet. And there was, it, it, it transcended partisan politics. It did. When, when we were in the heart of the net neutrality debate, it was not Democrats or Republicans. It was people who loved the internet saying to their government, you have to regulate these ISPs because we don't trust them. I don't think anything about a President Trump is going to make people start loving Comcast or Charter Cable or anyone else or AT&T or Verizon. But what's happening now is that debate was won. The Internet is regulated under Title II. It's a whole thing. It was complicated to do politically, procedurally, uh, legally. And now the carriers, and I think you brought up T-Mobile, are finding ways to try new things to make their data service more appealing. And the thing that they're doing is what you're describing as zero rating. I am not personally clear whether that's good or bad, right? Like they're giving you free stuff. That is their conception of it. I I suspect on the balance that it's bad because they get to control what you might do with your phone in a very specific way. So you'll use the video service that is free. You will not use the video service that is not free. That's a that's a that's an odd thing. Yeah, it, but if it could ST provide claims, it could provide lock in for big video yeah. services. Let's say YouTube did a deal with Verizon and AT and T. They could. Yep. If somebody comes up to disrupt YouTube, and there are plenty of people trying, and this is the great fear, then they're right? locked so Verizon, out of the of the platform that is the most important platform people use, which is mobile. Whether it's Android or iOS, they get locked out by the carrier which is you know which says we're not preventing you from watching Neelai Tube which is the challenger to YouTube uh, but it's great you should try you should it try it's it. it's right now you use offer code Walt it's for 10% off I know use the code <laughs> pirate booty uh, <laughs> but <laughs> we're not no but we're not preventing you we love Neelai Boot you can get it right yeah. on the iPhone and the Pixel that we sell here at Verizon. Here, I'll right. show you right in the store. You can get it. But but what but but the thing is, if I'm watching Neelai Tube, it's going against my data cap. But if I'm watching YouTube because they made a deal with me, it's not going against my data cap. And, and that this to is me, already happening. To me, as a, as a layman, not a lawyer, that is exactly what I think of as being you know, the opposite of net neutrality. Somebody in the system, some corporation in the chain of of parties, agents, that is getting me my phone and my service is not being neutral about who... who they're, they're, they're throwing the game in favor of whoever are their partners on this. Yep. And it's, it's already happening. So T-Mobile is casting a very wide net and they compress all video packets so that you watch video at SD resolutions and it's free. And you can buy a day pass to enable HD video, which is, that is very innovative. No one has ever thought of that before. Well, I think somebody's No one's ever thought of that before because it's not a great idea. AT&T is doing something similar, no? Yeah, AT&T will, they zero rate some stuff. Verizon has the wildly successful video streaming platform, Go90, which all of us use every day, constantly. <laughs> yeah. But they also uh, have Go the NFL. Count. They also have the NFL, which they is down down this year, but in, in, in ratings and interest, but they have it. 
to be. Yep. And it's, Comcast got dinged a while ago because their Xfinity app on the Xbox didn't count against your Comcast data cap. And their argument was, well, it's not, we don't run that data over the internet. We run it over a secondary network that looks like the internet, which is crazy. Um, what? So there's a lot. That's true. That was their argument. So oh, one of their it's own. It's already networks? happening. Like, no, I mean, it was still your Comcast cable line, and it, it was Ethernet into the thing. And they said, well, we've built a, sec- a special channel on our own network just for the... It, oh, you can have channels people inside, are trying inside to, a coax. Yeah, yeah, sure. They're trying to get around it. Uh, but to the user, it doesn't... You don't know. You have a data cap, and there's one app that counts against it and one app right. that doesn't. So this is... Uh, before we get so too, it's already happening. too far down the whole net neutrality rabbit hole, just to return to the monumental events of, of, of yesterday, mm-hmm. of last night. Well, let me, let me wrap up that thought yeah, go ahead. because that's what I'm coming back to. It's, net neutrality has passed. People are already trying to get around it. The question has always been, how will the FCC enforce the regulation they impose? And the answer so far has been, well, they haven't been. right? They, they investigated right. zero rating and they're like, we don't know the answer yet. We're going to keep looking at it. Here's some additional regulation. And if they do do something about it, it's in the form of a very small fine that none of these companies actually care about. Now you've got Trump administration saying, I don't like net neutrality to begin with. Maybe he's maybe the political machinations necessary to undo it are too hard because that could be true. You'd either have to pass a, a law or do the FCC process all over again. That's hearings. That's rallying the Internet again because the Internet likes net neutrality again, in a, I believe, a nonpartisan way. Maybe he doesn't do anything specifically, but maybe he just doesn't enforce it. And that's another outcome there. So I, that's a big one to me. It's it's a very personal right, and we're going to have to watch it. We're going to have to watch it. Yeah. I think the other interesting thing, and I, you know, I look. I admit I may be missing some of the. I certainly don't have a record of every one of Donald Trump's public appearances. There were hundreds of them, and uh, he's famous. We all know this uh, for having, you know, unscripted appearances, and he may have said things that I certainly have missed. But the other big one I know is that you know he has he has talked a lot about cyber as he likes to call it and <laughs> and the he's had briefings from you know he does have some military officers supporting him and uh, uh, you know a handful of of tech people and uh, he has he understands that there's that there's a cyber warfare threat against the United States not to mention that there was some hacking involved in the campaign itself and in the name of protecting that I think that was the context in which he asked Bill Gates at one point to shut down parts of the internet. And, yes. you know, that that was a punchline. It was a joke line used on late night TV and on Twitter for a while. But he's president-elect now, and he will be president of the United States. And I hope he still doesn't think Bill Gates can shut down parts of the internet because I don't think Bill Gates can. Yeah. I mean, he said it several times that ISIS is recruiting on the Internet, which is true, and we should shut it down in some way and not allow Americans to use to access that part of the Internet or allow people in those countries to speak to Americans. It would be hard to do. It is not technically impossible, right? The Internet is restricted in countries around the world in various ways. Obviously, the most notable example is China and the Great Firewall. I know that the listeners love Inside Baseball. One thing I didn't know that would happen when we relaunched The Verge, we moved our video tab to link you straight to YouTube. And I got a couple notes from people in China saying, hey, I love your videos. I can't watch them anymore. Yeah. Because you don't have your own video. I didn't think of that either when we were talking about it. Yeah. Totally surprising. So 
obviously the internet can be restricted. Countries around the world are doing it. How do you, we have never thought that way here. Is it going to happen here? That's, I think it would be, it, it it is would be super question. duper hard to make it work here. There's just, yeah. this is of all the countries in the world, this is the country. We, I'm, we're not a majority of the internet users by, by certainly by far anymore, but I'll bet, I'll bet anything with you that we're the majority of the people. This country contains the majority of the resources and the people who could bust through a firewall, who could build alternate DNS sites, who could build alternate servers, who could build even more robust VPN. I mean, there's a million ways you could do it. And and to be fair to Trump, I don't think he ever suggested a Chinese-type firewall here. Um, so I don't want listeners to, you know, take your fingers off the keyboard if you're about to tweet that, that we've accused him of doing something he didn't do. Um, yeah. It's just that he does believe in it, – it if you extrapolate from what he said a couple of times about this, I think he clearly would like some way to crack down on ISIS's ability to use the internet for recruiting. And, and to be honest, I suspect so would Obama. Uh, yeah. I, I just don't. I just don't know. You know, we we all can can imagine that the ways you do that tend to be a blunter tool than you intend them to be, and it's a little bit of a game of whack a mole uh, if you start in on it. So, um, you know, I think that's the that's an that's the other the other big thing is, is is that. But I have a different. I have a I have another topic related to the election and tech. Uh, yeah. That I think is super important and doesn't. This is not a thing about anything Donald Trump has said or act or advocated. I think that this election has exposed the absolute irresponsibility of two private companies uh, in terms of failing to police in an appropriate way their social uh, networks. Um, and that is Facebook and Twitter. These are private companies. One is very successful and goes to, tends to go from success to success. That's Facebook. The other one is struggling, but it's still, a, you know, got a large number of people on it every day and uh, in some ways was more than Facebook, the epicenter of uh, some of the political discussion, uh, a lot of the political discussion over the last 18 months. Um, they're both full of... False accounts, accounts run by bots. In the case of Facebook, and I can't prove it, I haven't investigated myself, but there, there, others have investigated and discovered entirely false news organizations that um, have established accounts and 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 you know published links and created um, sites that appear to be a newspaper or appear to be some other kind of news organization that doesn't actually exist, television sta- local television station or something. And Facebook, in my opinion, is has done way too little to try to crack down on it. And Twitter, I mean, we've talked before about this. I mean, Twitter in general has done way too little to crack down on hate and harassment and, 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 and again, false accounts. There are, I mean, uh, you know, we have a, each have a bunch of followers on, on Twitter. The Verge as a whole has a bunch of followers on Twitter. I'm sure that not only us but every single other person on Twitter 
has among uh, who who's a, a publicly known figure ha, uh, or, or organization has a large number of followers who are just bots or or, mm -hmm. or multiple fake accounts by, set up by people, and they uh, so I think the election has exposed <clears throat> serious flaws in the way those two companies operate, and I think false information, false not not opinions you disagree with. That's a different story. It's publicly fine. Perfectly fine to have an argument on Facebook or Twitter. There were, God knows, tens of millions of those, and that's democracy, and that's fine. I'm talking about the assertion of absolutely made-up facts, uh, which are, is not healthy to the discussion in an election, uh, and not necessarily limited to one side or the other. And these platforms, you know, the traditional old line media platforms had lots of ways to check for that. And it was much harder to – the barrier to entry was so much harder that it was hard for those kinds of things to get to penetrate. And its barriers so much lower and the ability to um, enforce them, the willingness to enforce them was so much lower that I, I think we have to learn from that. I don't think we can have – we should have another presidential uh, campaign or any campaign – uh, in, in in which these companies are so lax about it. That's my yeah. That's the Walt Mossberg opinion on how <laughs> how they did in the in the election. It's a great series. I'm going to run on Neil Tube, the Walt <laughs> Mossberg opinion, uh, which you can get now with offer code Walt. But God, it eats up your data cap. <laughs> yeah, buy some extra data. You're gonna want you. You don't want to miss this. I think that's exactly right. And I, but I think it it it's like one turn deeper than that because. I think these companies con consistently think that their disruption is always for the best, that they that the change they cause is always towards some more noble goal. I know for a fact that Twitter believes it always serves a noble purpose, that more speech, more freedom on its platform will always tend towards a better outcome. And I think what we've seen on Twitter with the harassment issues that haven't gone resolved, with these bot issues you're discussing, um, with, I mean, just so much. We've, we've, we've done entire shows about how Twitter's a mess. But they still believe that regardless of the mess under the, the surface of the water, that above the water they're doing a greater good. I think Facebook is less mission-driven in that way, and that blinds them to their responsibility. So Zuckerberg is out there saying we're a tech company, not a media right. company. Every media company in the world will tell you that Facebook's a media company. And they're the, the primary distributor of media content is Facebook. Uh, and Facebook has all kinds of tools to distribute media. They have a huge video network now. They have uh, uh, instant articles. They have, you know, the burgeoning field of VR is going to be about media distribution, not about hardware. It's about media creation and distribution. That's what Oculus is all about for Facebook. It's time for all of the companies, but I think you're singling at Facebook and Twitter in particular, and I would agree with you, to attack their responsibilities differently. For Twitter to realize that it, it doesn't always cause good outcomes or preferred outcomes, and there are a lot of problems, and I think a lot of the fake news and bots and trolling and harassment that happens on Twitter, they just have to address it. And you know, if, if you're Jack Dorsey and you're not happy with the outcome of this election, you have to look at the fact that one of the candidates used Twitter as a platform very effectively to say some really repugnant things and that managed to attract an army of bots and other people who love to say 
harassing things on Twitter. If you're Facebook, there's a massive fake news problem on Facebook. BuzzFeed had a great story about uh, people, I believe, in Macedonia who are building entire companies right. to rise no, and fall. That's what to, I was to referring fake to. News on Facebook. I'm glad you reminded me of that specifically, but that was what I was referring to, yeah. Yeah, so uh, it's just... Uh, and I think, and I honestly think, and I, I first of all, I should point out, I have not written a column on it. Maybe I should, maybe I will. So because I haven't written a column, I haven't called them and I haven't talked to them in any depth about it. And I, I'm pretty sure, given my past experience with them, that they would talk to me in some depth about it. But my guess pure guess is that their answer is essentially, hey, we're engineers. We're developing algorithms on this stuff. Just give us a little time. We'll figure out how to to get rid of these fake news sources through algorithms. That's, after all, what they did when they got criticized on their trending thing, which was a feature no one used, by the way, which um, somebody said, one person uh, on the team that ran it said, you know, was weeding out conservative articles. Uh, Zuckerberg didn't try to reform the human team. He fired it and said algorithms can do better. And they promptly started publishing completely fake news articles. So, you know, it's only algorithms are software. Software can always be revved and improved. And I think that's kind of, you know, that's just a sheer guess, but I think that's kind of what they're saying. The next cycle, it'll be all different because we'll have a much better handle on it. But I don't think we can afford to wait. I think they have to step up. They make a lot of money. They uh, serve a lot of people. A lot of people trust them with a lot of their information and trust them, you know, to provide news and information. And they have an obligation to make sure what they're providing is real. They, I'm, I do not favor them policing the political viewpoints of what comes across. So if there's a legitimate opinion website that is liberal, that should be allowed to be on there. That's, you know, super liberal. That should be allowed. And the same on conservative and super conservative and, you know, whatever, libertarian, Green Party, Bernie, whatever it is. You know, Lincoln Chafee site. I don't care what it is. They should. I don't want them to go and interfere with those things being present just because they're different or somebody in the in the management of, of Facebook doesn't agree with them. So I'm not talking about that. But if it's a fake site run out of a boiler room in Macedonia and they can't figure that out, I just don't believe they they can't figure that out. I don't believe it. I don't yeah. think they're applying any resources against it. Or enough resources. Yeah. As for and if and if, if you think about the comparison that I often think about, which is a cable network, which also supposedly you know neutrally brings in all of the channels it distributes and then distributes them. Comcast doesn't run run around saying our cable division is a tech division, not a media division. They know damn well it's a media division, and Facebook is very much in that role now, where they suck in a lot of stuff and then distribute it to 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 their customers. And Twitter, you know, people expressing views, and I include people who supported Trump, but I also am especially thinking of people who opposed Trump, uh, were subjected to some of the most vile and in some cases physically threatening, you know, IRL and real life situations uh, during this campaign, attacks on their rape threats, death threats, racism, uh, racist threats anti-Semitic threats. I know for a fact, having, again, I have not done full reporting on this, but having done a little conversation with some fairly high up people at Twitter, 
I came away with the strong impression that they just, it's just not, you know, they acknowledge they need to do something about it. Um, in fact, there's some evidence that a couple of the people who considered buying Twitter walked away because the harassment problem was such a cesspool. But um, it would take a lot of resources that they're not prepared to devote to it. And that's just wrong. And they need to get on the stick. I think you should write that column, man. Yeah, I will. Hey, it's the one. It's the first time I've ever assigned you a column on the show, and that's the first time for everything. <laughs> I proposed so it before you assigned it. I, I reject the idea that you assigned it. <laughs> so I want to wrap up. You know, a thing that I, I, I do a lot on the show, and I think our, our listeners like it, is I often reach back into the past to yeah. talk about how things have changed. And I, I don't actually have a column here to pull from, but I do have you, uh, and you have a lot more experience with... Uh, leadership changes in this country than I do. You have a lot more experience watching technology and the government collide in different ways. This one, to me, you know, I've I've not lived through many presidential transitions as a as an adult in this country, but this one to me feels very different. Uh, how how are you feeling about it? Kind of looking back across all the ones. I mean, you were a government reporter for a long time. I was. Post, so uh, uh, I'm I'm very curious to kind of get your your long view take. Well, there's a couple of things I I, I I guess I would I could say off the top of my head. I have lived long enough to have voted in a whole bunch of presidential elections. Uh, in many of them, the candidate I preferred is lost, and um, you know life still went on uh, under the person I didn't vote for. And this starts way back in the day when, you know, we had big, huge, divisive racial and foreign policy issues, the Vietnam War days and the civil rights days. And so, you know, I think on the one hand, the idea that the world is going to end is a little overblown, even though I can honestly say that in all that time, and I'm not... I'm not like the last survivor of the Civil War here, but you know I'm I'm a I'm an I'm this roughly the same age as, as as Clinton and Trump, and I've been around a long time like they have. And uh, you're welcome, listeners, for another contribution from the baby boomers. Uh, we just keep we just keep piling shit on there, and <laughs> you know, take your pick. Hidden emails or Trump? I mean, you know, I don't know. But, um, <laughs> you know, I, uh, I actually think if you're looking in the areas where, where, where some – a lot of the people who are opposed to Trump, uh, President-elect Trump, uh, were opposed to him on grounds of his views on women's rights, on women generally, on, on, on race issues. He said plenty of things on the record that are indisputable – that raise severe questions about that, even though he also said, I intend to be, you know, I'm going to take care of the problems that African-Americans have. I'm going to take care of the problems that Latinos have, whatever. I, I Nobody has more respect than I have for women, which is frankly a kind of a punchline. But truth is that through all of the people you thought were against that kind of social progress. Um, we've made a tremendous amount of social progress. Have we solved racism in this country? No. We have a terrible racism problem. But I actually think it's probably a little better than it was when Martin Luther King was assassinated, which I was around for. And um, I wasn't there. I, I don't want to mislead listeners, but I mean, I was, I was actually old enough to vote that year. 
And we weren't even talking in the 60s about women's rights. Uh, some people were, I'm sure, but it wasn't a part of the mainstream conversation or gay rights. And these things have come along and to their credit, uh, quite a number of, of uh, conservatives have endorsed them given time. And to be honest, a lot of the liberals did not endorse them until quite late in the process, but they did eventually. So, you know, I, I, I think people who, who don't agree with Donald Trump and who are very upset that he was elected, what I have learned, if you're asking me what the lessons I've learned are, you, uh, you stick to your guns, you stick to your principles within the law, within the system, mm -hmm. continuing to be civil, uh, continuing to be, uh, you know, do your jobs and, and continuing to be true to your principles and all of that, but you don't stop fighting. Um, and that certainly has been the way the Republicans have felt uh, when they've been out of power. And I, uh, you know, uh, I actually, I don't know that Donald Trump is truly a Republican. There are a lot of Republicans who don't think he is. He's his own thing. And it's going to be fascinating to see. And to the extent he disagrees with you as a, among our listeners, you remember, you still have a right to pursue and promote your own point of view. And I think if you are thinking today because you lost the election uh, or your side lost the election, uh, that there's no hope, that's just not the way the America I have grown up in works. I would say that. I hate to be mushy about it, but I, I would say uh, that. I, there's nothing I like better than being mushy about America. That is very much true. You know, I, I think this one's going to be different. And I, I think the the conflict between what the tech industry thinks of itself and the disruption it's caused and how proud of itself it is for that disruption and how the rest of America has sort of reacted to it. Every, you know, I, this is a column I need to assign myself, but every time we turn hardware into another piece of software, people lose jobs. Uh, and I think we've, we have always, this is the same as Twitter, we've always thought of that as, as a good thing, as another step. I'm assigning um, it to you. I, think, I am the executive well, editor. I'm first assigning everything. it to you. There you go. All right. Uh, this, see, this, this podcast is, is all over the place. <laughs> the listeners are getting a real window. No, I, I, look, it's a different one. I, I think you could actually, again, the historians are going to kill me, but because I'm probably making some, some aspect of this is disputed. Um, but I think it is roughly comparable, at least, to the Jackson the Andrew Jackson election. This is a... This is an election where people who don't live in the big cities, a lot of them, uh, who feel disenfranchised, uh, who are victims of globalization, as you just pointed out, who are victims of tech and automation, uh, who feel the, you know, the income equality is out of control. Uh, these people have struck back. The empire strikes back or whatever you want a stupid analogy <laughs> you want to use. And it matters. Uh, they've put their faith in someone who's quite unlike them, to be honest, if you look at his life and all of that. But, I mean, you know, he kind of lives in New York. He's a billionaire. He's a real estate developer. You know, he's not a coal miner. He's not a, you know, didn't work in the textile factory that closed somewhere. But he has taken on the mantle of defending those people and uh, in, an, in a very angry way. So... That's what the system is supposed to do. It's supposed to respond to the people, and the people came out and they voted in numbers that, um, actually, 
the numbers I'm seeing today, which I can't vouch for. I don't think you can, should vouch for any of these damn polling numbers anymore, <laughs> exit polls or whatever. But the turnout appears to have been low overall, not high. And uh, he had a lower turnout than Romney and she had a lower turnout than Obama uh, last time. So, uh, But nevertheless, the, the, they kept saying – what I was watching last night, uh, they kept saying – the uh, rural counties, yes, the urban counties were doing well for her, not quite as well as Obama in some cases, some cases a little better than Obama, but it was the rural counties, which didn't each have a lot of votes, but altogether they had a lot of votes if people turned out and people were turning out in larger numbers. So that's democracy, and we'll see. But, but globalization and technology are really important forces here. I, I don't think he can turn back either. I don't think he can yeah. turn them back. I think he can mitigate them, and I think we haven't done a very good job of mitigating their effects on actual human beings who are who are displaced or who suffer from them. Uh, I'll just be old again for a minute and tell you that my first job in Washington for the Wall Street Journal was as uh, the national labor correspondent. That used to be a job. I don't know if they still have it. I think they do. And one of the things uh, – this was in the Nixon administration and one of the things they did was they had a, 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 a job retraining program uh, that I think had started under Johnson. Uh, but I think Nixon actually expanded it because Nixon today would be regarded as a liberal. Uh, that's not a joke. He really would be regarded as liberal. He signed the Clean Air Act. He did a bunch of other mm -hmm. things like that. And they had – they spent – in those days, it was a huge amount of money and they had job retraining centers. And, you know, it was the government running a lot of it. It was before they had a lot of contractors. Uh, I don't know how – so that means it probably wasn't very efficient, but at least a serious effort was made. And there was no – and I'm not talking about NAFTA being signed or anything in those days. There were some – trade agreements, but nothing as, as dramatic as that. And certainly China wasn't making our stuff and all that. But we still – there were dis people displaced because the very kind of early stirrings of globalization were going on. Uh, and th there was – it was a part of campaigns. It was a part of the government. I don't think – I don't think we – you know, I think we've just given lip service to that stuff. And I think we need to do a lot lot better. And I think the tech, you know, the Steve Jobs is a hero thing, which is still a strong meme, uh, not just in the Silicon Valley, but all over the country is one thing. But Steve Jobs has been dead five years. And I think very slowly, the tech companies and their CEOs are morphing into part of this elite that seems distant from average people and not only that, robbing their jobs. Don't you think? Yeah. Oh, I completely agree, and I the, the that's what I mean. I think the the tech industry prides itself, and, and in many cases it should on rapid change without fear of consequence. It's time it's time to confront the reality that some people were displaced by it and unhappy with it. Yeah, happily, uh, we have an entire publication that we run that is devoted to interrogating the collision of technology and culture, and I think we've got a big job to do, um, and so we're going to do it. Go Verge. I have my first assignment. Yeah, and so do I. As it turns Sadly, out, sadly, so. first I have to review the MacBook Pro, but I'll I'll be on it after that because nothing's more important than dongles. So I'll be at it. 
and touch bars and you know that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, I that's mean, part of our responsibility, too, so we're still going to do that. But. Look, I'm still mad about the headphone jack. We could do a whole other show. No, nah, I'm uh, tired of it, Neli. I'm shutting it down. <laughs> I'm shutting it fucking down. Seriously. Andrew, you can Anyhow. cut out that word if you want. I don't care. But, <laughs> bleep it. Every time I say headphone jack, just I'm tired. Just yeah, that's the word. Not fucking. But <laughs> <laughs> you know what, Neli? There's an adapter. Yeah. It looks like a piece of wire. It doesn't look like I've... a giant dongle. You can call it a dongle, but really it's just an extra two inches of wire that goes on the end. And I know Paul Miller keeps it permanently attached to his phone, which was dumb. He should keep it permanently attached to his cord and he'd be fine. So, you know. All right. Well, we've, we have much more dongle-related conversation coming up when MacBook Pro reviews hit while it's working on that. Um, but for now, I think we, it's time to wrap up. There is... Much more to listen to if if you wish to listen to much more of us. Uh, I have Spurcast will be on. We're recording that tomorrow. Uh, Chris Plant has What's Tech, which is wonderful. On the Recode side, Lauren Good has Too Embarrassed to Ask, which is great. Kara Swisher has Recode Decode. And Peter Kafka has Recode Media. And I suspect these episodes of Recode Media over the next few weeks are going to get real interesting because there is yeah. there is a lot to talk about. about They're uh, always interesting, but in this, this is a great moment. And, it's a good moment. Um, you know, we we just gave you our point of view on Facebook and Twitter, and but that's a great rich area for Peter too. Exactly. Anyway, uh, that's it for this week. We will be back next week, uh, hopefully uh, with some some lighter fare. But uh, the world has changed, and we're going to change right along with it. That's it. Thanks, Walt. Thanks, Neilai. Well.